Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. And today I get to talk to my old friend, Eric Weisberg, who's now Global Chief Creative Officer at Donor in Detroit, where he oversees creative across the agency's 600-person micro-network in Los Angeles, Detroit, New York City, and London for a broad range of clients you may have heard of like Fiat Chrysler, Coca-Cola, DuPont, Nestle. I don't know. They're, they're companies, apparently. <laughs> Eric is uh, digital. Eric is social. Eric is a great, really nice guy. And we work together at JWT, so we talk about that a little bit, which I seem to talk about in every episode, but uh, it's a, it was a great place. But first, as always, the A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School, advertising age called Ad House, New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy, an ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow Ad House NYC on Facebook. And now, my interview with Mr. Eric Weisberg. So, uh, hey, Eric Weisberg, it's been forever. Yes, Tom, it has been. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, we worked together at JWT back in the uh, 2010-ish area. And, uh, I'll take your word for it. Yes, we did. <laughs> but wh- where did Eric Weisberg come from? I just knew you as the happy, uh, really nice guy who uh, who walked around uh, JWT not acting like he was running a giant account but was. Um, where, where did you come from? Where did, where did, uh, where did Eric Weisberg come from? Do we, st- we start, uh, back at the beginning yeah, for my, start, uh, life in Cleveland, Ohio? Start, yeah, yeah, yeah. You grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. What we like to do is to, to show people how, uh, how their, the big greats, uh, got into the business in the first place. So, uh, where I always start is where, where you grew up and, and how you figured out that you wanted to do something like this. Yeah. Well, I assumed I was one of your first guests on the B list. So, uh, um. <laughs> no, season two of the A list is A squared. This time, it's personal. So, I start. I grew up in uh, um, Cleveland, Ohio, in the in the suburbs there, uh, in a little town called uh, Beechwood, um, and uh, and that's where life started. Um, and uh, I came from a long line of uh, butchers back to Russia. My really? dad owned a. Uh, a Yes, I did. Um, now I butcher advertising as opposed to uh, cattle. My dad owned a uh, my my dad owned a, a wholesale meat company called uh, Weisberg's Meat, which was uh, which was famous for a tagline uh, that a friend of his uh, wrote, which was uh, "You can't beat Weisberg's Meat." Get out of here! Which was You're proudly lying displayed to me right now. <laughs> I, I had a hat as a child that I walked around with, um, which. Uh, Probably why I took many beatings. <laughs> Are you being serious with me right now? I, I am a hundred percent serious. I wish I had written that by myself. Do you have a picture of you in that hat? I have got to see if it if it exists. Um, I will share it with you. Thank you. Uh, so you grew up with uh, with with knowing sort of a, a brand, like you your your family was a brand. My family was a brand, and uh, you know that. Um, 
my dad started, he took over my grandparents' business, which was that, you know, there were all these ethnic market houses all over the uh, all over the country. And the business started at uh, what was called the West Side Market, mm-hmm. which is in downtown uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then my dad took that into uh, into a wholesale business. Uh, a wholesale business of 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 meats, of meats, and yes. you the finest. You meats. growing up in that, were you were you sort of like growing up? Were you like I'm going to go into the family business? I'm going to work at the meat shop, or no? Well, you know, no. So, <laughs> so no one in my family had ever gone to college before me, um, and my dad um, wanted me to be a lawyer as a child, which was probably because. Um, I didn't shut the fuck up, and he just thought, like, there's got to be something for this child to do to turn his annoyance into a profession. And he, so tried he always to get wanted you, me to be a lawyer. And he tried to, to get you beat up with the hat. Uh, that didn't exactly. work. So now he wanted you to be a lawyer so that uh, so that people would beat you up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so but, uh, uh, but, you know, in the end was always supportive of me uh, going away from the family business and uh, – Finding some new adventure in life. Uh, and when, when did you start to think, hey, I want to do this advertising thing? Or was it like an art thing or a writing thing? What, what was it for you? Well, I was more um, on the art side of things growing up. And I, what I thought coming into high school was that I wanted to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I was doing all of this stuff on school papers and and, and yearbooks and that kind of stuff. And then you were the I don't know as it got kid. closer. To, exactly, I mm-hmm. was the nerdy photographer kid getting beat up for the hat that said "You can't beat Weisberg's meat." Yes, <laughs> I think we now have a title for this episode: "You can't beat Weisberg's meat." <laughs> there you go. Dot com. Um, and as a. Uh, and as I sort of evolved into uh, from high school into college, um, I kind of thought, ah, I don't know that I want to do a – I don't think I want to be a photographer, you know, as a profession. And, um, and But I didn't quite know how I would take the art and photography and all of those skills, you know, and put them to good use. And that didn't come until um, – until the uh, sophomore year of college. So I, I started college at this um, uh, place called Bradley University, which you probably know as the Harvard of Peoria. In I do. Peoria, Illinois. Yes. And and this was a, a, a horrible place that I eventually left after they um, after they, you know, painted swastikas under my door. And uh, and I left right before the Ku Klux Klan decided to march on campus because I decided it was no longer a safe place for um, for a little Jewish boy from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Is that right? That really happened? I know. It's a sad story. <laughs> I block it out of my mind most of the it's time. Like, you've what? drawn it out. You've drawn Jesus it out of Christ. me. Yes. Yeah, I'm the Barbara <laughs> Walters of uh, advertising interviewers. You're going to cry. Exactly. If I get teary, we'll just pause. And, we'll and we've got again. a delay, so all my jokes myself. are falling completely flat. We'll do a laugh track. We'll record a <laughs> laugh track at the end, and then we can just fill it in. That's what we do. So then I went to – so after I, uh, I left Bradley, I ended up going my uh, – uh, next year to, to Syracuse. So I went from the Harvard of Peoria to the Harvard of Onondaga County, New York. And um, and I met a couple of amazing people there. Um 
Larry Vine, um, mm-hmm. you know, who was a New York ad guy, um, who was a young guy when he was there, you know, teaching and sort of uh, an amazing writer that had sort of come up through, you know, all these great agencies and then decided to go teach. I'm going to guess he was probably in his, I don't know, early 40s, mid 40s at the time. And then there was an older, a older gentleman named Stu Hyatt, who was one of these sort of legends at DDB. Right. And he had been teaching there. Um, and I met these, uh, I met them, I don't know, probably somewhere in the middle of my, uh, my sophomore year and was like, oh, I could do what those guys did. And what were you majoring in the, at that point? Photography? No, so I went there um, not knowing what I want to do at the. I went to Newhouse there, which is the big communication school at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I had picked a major. I think you know at the at that point it was just like communication stuff. Um, why did you pick communications? What was it about that? I, I you know I I had all of these things that interested me: photography and graphic design, and you know, and I didn't know if that was going to manifest itself into you know. PR or advertising or graphic design, I didn't really, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't have any context to what those businesses were. So I just yeah. thought that seemed like an area of interest. So, um, you know, so that so that's how I ended up picking um, Syracuse and Newhouse there, mm-hmm. um, because you could sort of go into magazines or PR or advertising or, you know, any of those things. And okay. so um, that's how I ended up there. And I met these amazing, you know, these yeah. amazing two guys and... And what was it about Larry Vine and who was the other man? I forget. Stu? Uh, Stu Hyatt. Stu yeah, Hyatt. Stu what Hyatt. was it so about Stu- them that sort of attracted you to that, to their sort of, I want to do what they do? I, you know, there was something magical about both of them. They were like, they were fun and they were smart and they were interesting. And they had all of these great stories, um, you know, about like the business and about brands. And it just seemed like, Wow. Like, that seems like something amazing uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to do. Um, And uh, I don't know. They sort of, uh, I guess they, I I, I guess there was something that a light bulb went off. And I just thought, like, I could be like those guys. Yeah. And then you started taking ad classes. What were were your first, uh, when was your first, like, oh, my God, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure I've reached that yet. (laughs) No, you have. You totally have. Um, <laughs> what, uh, so, so you started doing this, and then, and then, you know, Syracuse has all those like you can do sort of internships and stuff. I'm assuming you did one of those. Is that what comes next? That's sort of sort of what came next, but I would say probably the the honest answer to the sort of light bulb going off mm-hmm. probably didn't happen until um, until my second job at Leo Burnett in mm-hmm. Chicago. That's when I sort of got it. So, what was your first job? So after college, you know, the the economy in the sort of mid-90s was a shit show. I do remember um, that, And so I went – and so I I went and interned at this – internship is a very strong word for for what I was doing there. But there was this little creative place called Burkhart and Christie, um, you know, in midtown Manhattan. And, uh, you know, they had like BMW motorcycles and Sony – you know, cassette tapes and, you know, things like that. And I was basically somewhere between an intern and the the mailroom boy there. And mm-hmm. there were some smart people there, but um, 
and they were doing some interesting work. But I don't think the light bulb ever went off, and and I was living on basically a a friend of the family's couch in uh, in Park Slope, and around about Thanksgiving, you know, after you know banging the doors in New York and and hearing that the economy was you know crumbling, mm-hmm. I ended up um, I, I had been doing these. Um, I've been doing this thing, which is uh, uh, is uh, laughable to think about now, but I had been sending faxes. I had a list of all of these agencies yeah. that I wanted to work at, and I came up with this idea that I was going to send uh, faxes whenever there was sort of current event things that were sort of appropriate for like a tease to sort of give me a call and look at my book. And I ha- I set up a a voicemail box in New York City uh, so that it was a local number. So they, you know, so I, I think I had done it at college. So they thought that I was in New York City. Wow. And, um, you were, you, know, you I were would, like a spot, you like hacked. You, you were, you were before Putin, there was Weisberg. That's true. It was exactly the same thing. Uh, no, but seriously, you, you went to great lengths and, and you, and, and this fact story, uh, is something I've heard from a few people. Uh, we've done 20 of these. And uh, like two or three people were doing that, and uh, they're all big shots now. So uh, you're in good company. Well, it was you know when you don't have any money and you can't afford you know uh, overnight UPS, you know the fax was the way to make sure that you got some something on somebody's desk. And it's yeah. funny, my my wife was in uh, at her parents' house in uh, upstate New York last weekend, and she found her portfolio from college under the bed and mine. And some of these faxes and postcards that I had been sending were in this portfolio. Oh, so, my um, God. Do you have I pictures? Can you, can, you, can you send us uh, – can you fax us something? I will fax you some pictures of that. I don't and know they what were, our fax they number were like, is, but you know, I think if you just type in fax into your phone, it'll just, uh, it'll just go. It'll just magically appear. It'll just be in my hands. And um, some of them were funny and some of them were embarrassing. You know, like uh, in 93, like uh, Pepsi had fired Michael Jackson. Yeah. And so I had written, you know, one of these things was like, times are tough. Even Michael Jackson needs an advertising job. They, you know, they were, <laughs> they were lame <laughs> statements like that with my name but and you, junior copywriter and this local number. You are brave because you, you're able to, uh, to t- first of all, you remember the ad perfectly. Uh, and, uh, then you, you actually told us, uh, one of your bad ads. So that's, that's brave of you. Yes. <laughs> we all go through it. So the first job. So in addition to doing this thing at Burkhart and Christie in New York, I have been sending these faxes all over the place. And I thought, you know what? There's a couple okay agencies in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm just going to start blitzkrieging them with these faxes too. Uh-huh. And, um, you, you know, and, I remember this distinctly because I have this great hatred for uh, wordplay and puns. And so um, (laughs) there are many people that will take great joy in hearing the facts that got me my first job. So there was this agency in Cleveland, Ohio called Griswold where I got my first job and they lost the Dutch Boy Paint account. Um, And uh, I don't even know if Dutch Boy Paint is still made, but – and I sent them this fax and it just said, lousy paint always peels. (laughs) <laughs> okay and I, I don't know somehow um that got a that that got me a call from the creative director there and uh and he offered me a job uh you know at griswold at griswold in uh in cleveland 
in beautiful, in beautiful downtown Cleveland, Ohio. And you were in New York City doing that internship? I was in New York City. I was doing that internship and living, living on the, you know, couch upstairs in uh, uh, some, uh, a friend of the family's apartment in uh, Park Slope. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I packed up my shit and moved back to Cleveland. And back with your parents? Did you move back in with your, with your family? Of course. Where else would you go? Yeah, of course. And you were okay with that, or was that like uh, one of those moments in life where you're just like, God damn it, I've, I've, I did the thing that nobody wants to do? Yeah, I don't remember it being a happy time. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny how like but when you look back on it, you're just like, yeah, it was a thing that happened. Exactly. But at the time, it probably felt like a real like fucking shit. I just gave up on the town that, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? Look, nobody wants to move in. Of course, now, like, moving back in with your parents is sort of the great norm. Yeah. But, like, then after college to, like, you know, to be in New York City after, you know, graduating college and you're going to, you know, you're going to make it in the, yeah. you know, the biggest ad market in the world. You were and then, there. Um, you were and at the went, top. You yeah. saw the other side. You you were you were yeah. at the pinnacle. And then I was home again. <laughs> and what was that like, that that experience at that agency? It was a funny little place because, you know, just because, you know, these things sort of between the faxes and this story will be dating our, ourselves or dating myself at least. And so Griswold was an agency that had a couple of interesting accounts. One of them was Dirt Devil back, uh, Vacuums. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dirt Devil Vacuums was famous uh, for a tagline that was as good as um, Weisberg Meets tagline, which mm-hmm. was uh, the power of an upright in the palm of your hand. Oh, I remember that. I mean that it's it's yeah. it's burned into my brain. They did uh they did you know that and they had you know a, a bunch of other sort of uh you know regional power companies and a local hospital and um you know they the, it, it, but their business did some of this stuff but the the place made money because they were a media um agency for oh. phone book advertising. Oh, and so wow. you know when phone so, yeah. Remember the phone book? Yeah. There was this thing called the phone book. Uh, every episode we have this this part where we uh, we should make it a we should make it a thing, Matt Still, that we have music for, where we're like, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I'll get a cue going. We do a cue. Little jingle. Yeah. And now, <laughs> I, <laughs> memories of yesteryear with Tom Chrisman and the A list cast. <laughs> the phone book. Yes, that's how they made their money. So did you do ads there? Was it was it like a good play? Did they have like a local award show? Did you did you do all that stuff? Were you were you swept up in it? Yeah. So there, you know, there was a handful of people there who were really super talented. I, you know, the creative department there was, you know, and when I say the sort of phone book thing, like the agency was probably 150 people, but there was wow. probably only 20 of us doing advertising. Right. You know, because. 20 creative people doing advertising because the rest of it was, you know, media people selling, you know, national phone book um, ads. And right. so with there like was a cigars. I, I imagine them with cigars and they're like, all right, kids, you, good ads over there. We're selling some space. Get out of my light. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> um, you've painted a, be- a beautiful visual. That's how it was. So. So I'm I, I'm at this agency in you know Cleveland, Ohio, tail between my legs as I've returned you know home and living with my parents again, and I'm you know I'm trying to 
you know, bust my hump to do some de- decent stuff there. And the phone rings, and I'm in the office with my boss. And on the other end of the line is this guy, Wayne Johnson. Um, he called, you know, from Leo Burnett. So he calls, he goes, hey, this is Wayne Johnson from Leo Burnett. Is this, is this Eric? And I said, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and he said, you, you're the guy that's been sending me these postcards and faxes, aren't you? And I said, uh, yeah, but Wayne, can I call you back in like 10, 15 minutes? Um, and he goes, how come? Is your boss in your office? And I said, uh, yeah. Um, can I call you back in like 10 minutes? And he goes, well, just tell your boss you're going to quit. And I said, let me call you back. And if he goes, hey, you can call me back, but you're going to end up quitting anyway. So you might as well tell him now and get it over with. <laughs> That's amazing. And who was that that called you? Wayne his name was Wayne Johnson, and Wayne Johnson was the – he was the person that recruited all the juniors at, uh, at Leo Burnett. I didn't quit at that moment. I did call him back in 10 minutes, and then I quit later that day. <laughs> uh, and you moved to Chicago. And I moved to Chicago in uh, um, uh, 1994. Yeah. What was that like? That was awesome. I mean, you know, I have like – Lear Burnett at the time, um, you know, was a privately held company. It was on 22 floors of the Leo Burnett building and, you know, in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had all of the greatest accounts in, you know, yeah. in the world. There was, you know, there was Reebok and Miller Lite and United Airlines and, mm. you know, Samsonite luggage and um, Oldsmobile and Allstate Insurance. And like, you know, it was... Um, Suddenly, I got my mojo back, you know, after the after the 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 sort of moment of pause for the, you know, five, six months in Cleveland, Ohio. I was like, okay, this is advertising. I had this amazing story of my first partner there. So, you know, um, I Lear Burnett did this really cool thing um, where they they hired a big group of people every year out of school. And they had this thing called the associates program and they rotated you around the agency, the agency had 350 creative people, you know, wow. over like, I don't know, seven floors or something like that. Yeah, I've been in that building. It's pretty great. Yeah. And so they rotated you around to different groups for like a, I think it was like every three or four months. And sometimes they switched up partners. Sometimes they switched up your creative directors. And um, my first rotation was on um, on Reebok. So, um, so wow. Learbonet had Reebok and... There's the this amazing partner I get hooked up with is this um, is this guy uh, Munir, and Munir had been um, a mailroom guy at Leo Burnett for a couple of years, and he was this amazing artist, like um, comic book artist, like absolutely spectacular comic book artist. And he would do the mail, but he would leave the creative directors there, these amazing drawings. I mean, they were just like so beautiful and so detailed and so full of, you know, energy. And um, and he was not a classically trained artist. Um, and, you know, so he's working in the mailroom there and with no, I, he had no, uh, no even idea at the time about like what advertising was or where it could go. And my bosses on Reebok had, um, had taken a liking to Muneer and really liked his spirit. And so I came there and I got paired up with, uh, with Muneer who, um, who was right out of the mailroom. And so it was like, um, it was like this, wild convergence of sort of opposites and um and we did amazing work it uh 
Um, we sold um, a uh, a spot for Reebok basketball in in like the first probably two months of being there. Wow. Um, you know, it's a multi-million dollar shoot with, you know, Sean Kemp, who was like the yeah. hottest basketball star of the time. And the and, Seattle Sounders. You know, gets shortlisted. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he it gets shortlisted at Cannes. And I think, wow, this is uh, <laughs> this easy. works out pretty good. Yeah, it's easy. Um, so how did you— uh, And it got harder after that. So you got, you got, you got paired up with this guy, Munir— is that his name? Munir? Yep. And, uh, Munir. Yeah. And he was out of the mailroom, no, no advertising sort of knowledge. He was just sort of like a, a, a raw talent. How did you deal with that? Like, how did you, because you coming from like, okay, I've got all this, I know what I'm doing. Like, you probably had, you had a couple, you had like a year there where you were like, I know how to do this. And now you're being thrown in with someone yeah, who, I, who doesn't. Have that is that was that hard? I think the, the reality was I, it was hard, but at the same time, you know, I never went to Portfolio Center or Circus right. or anything like that, so I hadn't had this great immersion into sort of like ad world with all these other ad people. Right. You know, um, I had these two amazing professors at school who sort of sparked my interest in it, right. but like I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and <laughs> okay. so so you were um, in the same kind of position. So I. I think we're in the same boat. I knew how to write a good fax. You know, that was yeah. where that's where my great skill set sat at the time. Yeah. And I, we just sort of figured it out together. And I think it was good because, you know, Burnett was, like I said, was gigantic. It was 350 creatives. And, like, yeah. you know, he was hungry and he had something to prove. And I was hungry and I had something to prove after I moved out of my parents' house again. Yeah. You know, and finally had my own apartment for the first time. So, like— you know, we were both young and hungry and sort of figuring out this this place and this career yeah. together. And um, how did you come up with the idea for the uh, for the Reebok spot? What was the what was the do you remember like batting it around and having the idea? Yeah. So, I, you know, he like I said he was a huge comic book um you know, fan. Like uh-huh. he lived in the world of sort of comic books and action. And, you know, I was sort of nerdier and more cerebral. And the the spot was a was this combination of the the sort of you know his brain and my brain and it was like it was Jumanji it was sort of like it was Sean Kemp inside this video game defeating this monster that once he jumped into like he couldn't beat the monster and then he jumped into the you know Reebok Sean Kemp shoes and then suddenly you know he he you know crushed the monster in the video game so it was like it could never have come from my brain alone. It could never have come from his brain alone. Right. And I think that's where I sort of first that that you asked, when did I know I could do this or when did I understand the business? Like that that was it. That was yeah. like, you know That's pretty rare though, getting um a big T V spot sold. And then did you get to go on the shoot? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's great. And, and you got that was so lucky. That was Oh, it was like crazy. It was, uh, it was just like, you know, it, it, it was so easy. And then, you know, and then you get the sort of taste of that. And then, yeah. you're, you know, you spend the rest of that, you know, but I mean, you know, for this young 
these two young whippersnappers to sell right. this thing on on Reebok, um, you know, right off the bat in yeah. the first like couple of months was like, you know, there have been people in a creative department of, you know, 350 people like swinging the Reebok bat for a couple of years. So, yeah. um, you know, it was pretty it was pretty awesome. But the, it was also the, the two guys who were running that group were. Who was that? You know, they just wanted to find. And you know what? I don't remember their names, which is terrible. Um, but there were these two great guys who were running that that team and they were they were fun and they just wanted to help, you know, um, people do great work. And they mm-hmm. were funny. I mean, um, you know, they were practical jokesters and um you know, on that first shoot, like one of them came out there and they were like, so just so you know, Eric, like, you know, these shoots are serious business. You know, th- this Reebok client is going to be spending a couple of million bucks. And like, you can't just show up in the shoot and like, you know, shorts and a T-shirt. Like you got to show up in a in a suit and be ready to show that you respect their, you know, respect the money that they're spending. You know, and so um, they gave me this call time, which was like, you know, 25 minutes after everybody else was supposed to come down. You know, we're staying at the Four Seasons Hotel in (laughs) in California, which is like, you know, wow. Yeah. And so I get this call in my room and, you know, they call up and they're like, hey, Eric, where are you? They get the producer to call and they're like, Eric, where are you? We're all sitting in this van waiting for you. And, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, well, they told me to come down and. I come down, you know, I've just finished. I'm tying up my tie. I'm making sure that I look respectable. You know, I got on a, you know, fancy set of shoes. I think I was probably wearing like a three-piece suit and a tie. And I I run down and I'm, you know, I'm running through the hotel to get in this van because I don't want to be late. And they told me the client's waiting. And I get in the van and all that, they're all in their shorts and T-shirts <laughs> laughing their ass off. And the, they slam the door shut and shove me in the seat and then they take off. <laughs> And uh, so you had to wear your suit all day. I well, I think I might have gotten something from wardrobe eventually, and then um, <laughs> I got back back at them. The I think two days later, at like three o'clock in the morning, I ordered them each like seventy five dollars of breakfast for their room. <laughs> Putting your shoot over budget, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah. so that's a great first shoot. I mean, you went out to L.A. You did the whole Four Seasons thing. You, you, uh, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was um, pretty. And then I figured, well, <laughs> this is I easy. can do this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, do you go back and are you like, now I'm now I'm the best at this. I can never fail. And then, of course, the next next thing you just bit it or what? What happened next? Yeah. Well, you know, the the funny thing is, so Burnett had this thing called the CRC, which was the Creative Review Committee. It was mm-hmm. famous for, Burnett was famous for the CRC. And you used to, you know, Burnett also had, um, they probably still do, they had created the Marlboro Man and Virginia Slims and all that. So in the CRC, they were these giant smoke-filled rooms with 50 people in them. Yeah. You know, they're media people and research people and account people and, you know, and used to just get up in front of this room and... um you know, and present work. And, you know, and 99.9% of it would just die a horrible death. So, you know, you come back from this Reebok high and then you're you're there just like, you learned how to present quickly there because like, you know, you were up against people that have been presenting for 20 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so you go into these giant smoke-filled rooms and, you know, 
after the Reebok thing, you know, it was harder. You know, you had a mm-hmm. like uh, I don't remember the next thing that I sold, but it, it was not it was not another month or two. Right. It was longer. It was a it was a long slog in between uh, things. Yeah. Um, I was back into the mix of, you know, 350 creative people. And how did you what, – what what made you end up back in New York uh, where I found you at, uh, at J. Walter Thompson? Because you – by then you were uh, – you were executive creative director. Or did we both – were we both made executive creative director at the same time? I think we – maybe we both – I believe we were made it like on the same the day. The same day, yeah. And I remember at the time thinking – I don't deserve what Tom deserves. No, it was the other way around. And I, I was like, I, I can't believe they're announcing this to the whole agency. I just want to, like, hide in my room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the journey back from, you know, from Lear Burnett, I always had, I'll say this, I loved Lear Burnett and, you know, and I probably left there too soon. I was there mm-hmm. about, you know, three years and, you know, I met, there were great people there, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know. It, it, John Condon and yes. Straz and Rieger and Michael Walker and Mike Long and Kerry Keenan and Mark Filio. I mean, there were all of these yeah. great people there. And um, but I always had this bug to like, you know, Chicago wasn't, you know, New York City and mm. I got to make it in New York City. And I, I don't know. I think I was just I was sort of young and and sort of stupid. And, you know, there was I, I was fighting this log to amongst 350 creative people and you know one day i was up in uh, i was up in michigan you know um presenting this osmobile campaign um osmobile for those who you know mm. don't know was company. at one time the num- yes the number one car company in america mm-hmm. um and uh w- we were presenting to this ceo there and uh and he fell asleep in the middle of me presenting Hmm. I, I later learned he was a narcoleptic, but he fell asleep in the middle of me presenting what I thought this was going to be my moment. Yeah. I was going to sell the next Not Your Father's Osmobile campaign. Because <laughs> it was after that, right? That debacle? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> after that debacle. That was the line, guys. Uh, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. They thought that would sell more Oldsmobiles. The only hiccup was it turned out it was your father's Oldsmobile. <laughs> There was that little problem. Don't say the exact opposite of what you want people to believe because, yeah. So the CEO woke up from me, you know, after he fell asleep in the middle of me presenting this campaign and he said, you know what we need? And I'm standing there, you know, uh, and he goes, we need something that says Oldsmobile. We're working like a bitch." And so, I don't know, I packed up my stuff. <laughs> You didn't write that? That wasn't you, Eric? That was not me. (laughs) And that won the Cyber cyber Lion that year. It did. It won the Cyber Lion that year. And um, I don't know. And so then after that, I I, I don't know. I might have gotten tired of swinging at bats for Osmobile. And I got offered this job. I had been poking around New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I ended up... uh, I ended up back in New York again, um, you know, after three years or so at Leo Burnett. So, you, so you, yeah, you had to you had to break it down. You had to uh, you had to go back and fight the monster that you had uh, that, that had defeated you before, uh, and you did. And now exactly. you're in, now you're in Detroit. Now you've like now you've left New York City in the dust, my friend. Because now you are yeah 
in charge of it all. Detroit, New York, L.A., and what's the what's the other uh, city that you're in? Detroit, New York, uh, London, and London, right. and London. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Nice. And so it's my. I, I say I'm a born again Midwesterner. Oh yes, I love that. I, I read that. I was reading that in you know. one of your bios. Uh, I love it. Um, tell me about um, the the story starting process because I, I I love that. Uh, I heard you talk about story starting and how brands. Uh, need to do that, and that's sort of uh, your your thing, and I love it. Tell me about story starting. You know, I, I think you know it's fine. So I um, I sort of took this journey, and I left Saatchi in, in New York. I was at Saatchi, and I I went to this pure play digital place, and then back to JWT, where I thought I was going to help bring together the sort of digital and traditional worlds. And it took, at the time, it was all being called convergence, which, you know, everybody mm -hmm. thought everything was going to be on one device as opposed to us packing for a trip with, you know, a trunk full of digital devices and adapters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think it took a little while until I sort of understood, at least in my own mind, what the whole world of digital advertising and integrated marketing was going to mean, at least for me, you know, and, and, and for me, the story starting thing came out of this, like, I believe that we're all storytellers, but that ultimately where the business has gone is, you know, you can't tell stories that have a beginning and end anymore. You've got to, you've got to start stories that you let influencers and PR and consumers and all of those people finish. And that sort of became the inspiration for me, at least with myself and then my teams for how we might crack these problems of sort of the, the, the new world of sort of all of these channels, mm -hmm. how you might pull the red thread that pulled it all together, mm -hmm. which is you'd start a story using mass or using, you know, or using video, but mm -hmm. you wouldn't finish the story and that you'd allow other people to participate in it. And that was uh – Kind of revolutionary at its at at the time, and 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 now everybody's doing sort of this content marketing, but um, people tell me tell me about how that was received by clients. Were there some clients that didn't get the story starting process, or was that like a, a hard sell? I you know I think it all happened organically. Like, look, you and I were there, it was a magical time at J. Walter Thompson then. Like, yes. you know, Ty and Rose had had brought about this creative awakening in in the place, and you know, I, I think they're they're two of the great minds of our business and sort of challenging the way that we all look at the world, mm -hmm. and. You know, I was looking around at the time and, you know, I was I was running this J&J &J business there where the work was was not wildly interesting, you know, when I first sort of took over running it. And I was so jealous of, you know, work that was going on in the rest of the, bu the building. And I was like, I got to figure out how to get J&J &J and Nestle and these other clients doing, you know, doing modern marketing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just sort of happened a little bit at a time. And, I, you know... The story starting thing, I don't I, I don't know that I called it that to begin with. It sort of took on a form, you know, later after I sort of realized how we were sort of connecting the dots on all that stuff. Yeah. I think we are all sort of disciples of uh, of Ty in that, um, in that sort of uh, – if it was a family tree of advertising, uh, I think both of us would, would come from that sort of uh, – that branch of the um, – 
the brand journalism, storytelling, uh, sort of uh, collective, getting you know co-creation, all that, all that stuff. I, I love it, and I think it is uh, it is the future of of brands uh, that can get out of their own way. Um, and I, I, I was so I, I did feel so lucky to be involved in that place at that time. It was it was a it was a remarkable time in the place, and I think look I I think one of the things that I don't know for me that that tie and that time at the agency inspired uh, is that just because it's the way that it has been done doesn't mean it's the way that it should be done. And I think there was just a constant, nobody pretended to have, I don't think Ty pretended to have the answer to where everything was going, right. but he sure as hell was going to try something different than what, the way it was done before. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a philosophy, which was like, you know, right or wrong. It was a, a way of thinking about uh, what a brand is and, and what it could be. Um, talk about uh, how that would how that manifested itself in some of the earlier stuff, like uh, for J and J. How did you get J and J to start doing things that were more story starting? Well, I think you know it was an interesting thing, which is that J and J had this had a had a complete reliance on television, but knew that they needed to get into the world of digital marketing because they you know they saw that even in the early days they saw what was happening at the same time you were not allowed to use social media so they had no no until and and that's true until very recently which is that J&J had no um had no social media um turned on for any of their brands um and so, wow, this was a, a, a corporate decision to say, like, we're not going to do social media and, you know, forget it. And, and, you know, look, it's a more complicated answer than that, which is that a lot of the things that they sold were regulated things. Got so, it. like, you couldn't have somebody, you know, you couldn't have somebody on Facebook saying, you know, the best way to get rid of a headache is to take, you know, 300 Tylenol. Right. You know, and, and drink a fifth of, you know, scotch. So, you yeah. know, it was, the, it was, it was smart and thoughtful as to why they didn't want people out there doing that. At the same time, it was before the, the platforms had matured in a way that, you know, you could do proper social listening, you could do proper community management. And so they just said, okay, nobody gets to play with these new toys. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I had clients that are like, I got to get, you know, the clients were like, I got to be doing some digital marketing and I wanted to do more of this stuff. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they were sort of the co-conspirators in sort of figuring out where we went to. And I, I realized that the place where they could lead um, was not in social because we weren't allowed to play there, but they could lead in mobile. Right. And so we'd started trying to think about all sorts of ways. And it was, you know, we were literally with, with uh, um, Zyrtec, which is an allergy brand. Mm -hmm. It was the, we had done the first advertising on the first app that was available in the app store on the iPhone, which was the Weather Channel. And so we started doing, you know, um, weather and sort of pollen-targeted advertising, um, you know, in the Weather Channel, um, you know, when it first launched. And that was sort of like, um, that for me was sort of like, that, 
a series of like, how can we get to be first at things? And that, you know, that led to all sorts of interesting, um, you know, mobile experiences like, you know, the magic vision for the Muppets and, you know, and uh, creating um, Zyrtex um, Pollen Index, which was this algorithm we, you know, we created with the... Mm. Uh, um, you know, with with a bunch of scientists to figure out how to predict how you would feel. And, um, you know, it just sort of went down from there. And then eventually, you know, mobile became something that J&J and myself and, you know, others got known for. Yeah. And, um, and then the social channels eventually turned on and we started to innovate even more within that. So, so what I get out of that is knowing, knowing what your clients want out of out of the work is is kind of important, you know, um, knowing that like – so, yes, corporate J&J, the lawyers had said, we can't do this. It's too much of a risk. But you knew that your clients were as, – as humans who need – who wanted to uh, make their careers go further and, you know, do something, uh, you know, get a little ego boost for themselves, wanted to do some digital marketing because they didn't want to get left behind. No, no question. So knowing that was helpful to you. And so understanding, I feel like uh, when young creatives are working on something, they need to understand what is the, what is the, yes, what is the best thing for the brand, of course, what is the best thing for the agency, uh, but also what is the best thing for this human being who you're selling this work to? Like, what are they going to want? Look, no question. Like, your clients are, you know, I, I consider the best work that I've ever done in my career has always been done with um, with great clients. Yeah. Like I, I've never had, I've never been one of these people that had adversarial relationships with clients or account people or strategists. Like you know, I always believe that we were sort of all in this together, yeah. and you know, we sort of um, we win together. And yes. something you consistently said is uh, is is content is a team sport, and and uh, now more than ever. You sort of have to um, be okay with something being sort of uh, quickly and cheaply and uh, done, you know, not with everybody in the room and not with everybody raising their hand and saying, oh, okay, that's perfect. But uh, but that, that takes trust among the team. How do, you, how do you get that trust with your teammates? You know, I, I think I always said, like, my job is to be the dot connector for all for all of these different worlds coming together and sometimes it's the dot connectors between clients and agencies but more than often now it's the dot connector of sort of the different operating systems of people doing different things so like you know one of the reasons I came to donor is there was the start of a real amazing content machine here so mm-hmm. you know we've got 25 edit rooms and five sound rooms. And, you know, we've got two directors on staff now, and we've got a, you know, a truck full of grip equipment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But we've also got a whole group of people who are focused on sort of uh, data science and sort of unlocking the, the, the sort of power of where people are in social channels. And then we've got another group of people doing sort of amazing brand design and strategy. Those three worlds operate on com- three completely different operating systems of how ideas come to be. Right. And so, you know, I find that my job is sort of awakening people to – I become an evangelist to what's 
possible if everybody sort of works together. And, you know, and then how do media companies come into that? How mm. do tech partners come into that? Mm. Um, and And I think a lot of times, you know, I don't know, if I think about the world that we we were born into in the business, that was Munir and me in the office sort of trying to figure out how our two different worlds um, came together to form this great idea. You know, now that's got to come together with you at a table, you know, real or virtual, mm-hmm. about how you share ideas and you build on each other's ideas. And, you know, it, it really, you know, it is... Um, it is a collaborative sport to do in these great things. Yeah, and uh, it takes uh, it takes a, a lot of um, listening and handholding. And I think uh, I love your 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 thought of you being the dot connector between all these three worlds and and just sort of reminding everyone of the possibilities. Um, it's a it's a really it's an important job, and not everyone can do it. And you seem to be doing a, a great job over there at Donor. Um, you just got there six months ago, something like that. I don't know, I've been here about eighteen months now. Eighteen months. Wow. Okay. Uh, eighteen and, months. And yeah, did you go to Can? Did you go to Can this year? I did go to Can. I just. Yep. You just got back. What was it? What was it like? I just got back. You've been there a different level. Was that your first time there, or were you there? You were there with JWT. Oh God, no. I think. I yeah, I've been there probably. I don't know, eight, ten times. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, but but I, I can for me beyond all of the sort of fun of being in the south of France, which it's hard to say that it's you know being nice. in the south of France is ever a, yeah a shit day. Um, I always find like can is my great reset for the year, mm-hmm. like. The can is always the barometer, and look, I could get mm-hmm. off to on a whole tangent of like you know. Maybe there's too much scam there. Maybe I'd like to see, you know, more brands sometimes there. But the reality is, like, Can is a celebration of where creativity is in the business and where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I always find it's my great reset to, like, okay, I'm, I'm looking at this work of people testing where these channels, where these platforms, where creativity can solve brand problems and the world's problems. Mm. And I don't know, this year more than ever, I think maybe it was the sort of reset of the format this year. Um, maybe it's just sort of the headspace that that I'm sort of in. But like, I don't know, I've come back really sort of charged up with the the belief that like us as a business and everybody started to sort of talk about the model is broken and the business is you know screwed and i don't know like i came back sort of re-inspired that you know the gift that all of us in the business have if we have any gifts um is that we have the power to sort of use creativity to transform um businesses Mm-hmm. And that's happening in all sorts. The form of that changes all of the time. Mm. But that's something that we uniquely have, that consultancies don't have that culture or muscle. Um, it's something unique to us. And uh, if we harness it, there'll be great things that will happen. What was your favorite uh, thing at Can? I think there was a couple of things that really sort of uh, touched me this year. Um 
there's this uh, there's this one uh, look. I think the idea everybody was talking about this year, and it gets to the sort of transformative creativity, was today at Apple. So today at Apple is sort of you know it was a reset of of what they were in their stores, and I like the way they talk about how um, the stores are the hardware, and today at Apple, which is all of the content, all of their programming is the software. Mm. Like, what a beautiful way to think about how you can transform. Yeah. Um, it's a business idea. You know, brands. Uh, it's a business idea. Mm. And I think, um, I love that. Um, you know, the, the probably one of my favorite things at Canva, it's also one of my favorite things of the year. Um, and it's, it's, it's so simple was the 11 herbs and spices for KFC. Um, you know, and putting that out there and, and letting people discover it. Love that. Loved, you know, in the world of sort of pro bono, you know, we all saw the ice bucket challenge a couple of years ago and thought nobody is ever going to do a better, you know, um, a better pro bono thing than the ice bucket challenge. And mm -hmm. they had the ALS foundation did this thing this year called project revoice, which is that guy that inspired the ice bucket challenge has now lost his voice oh. and they figured out how to use his voice from recordings before now using his eye movements oh to get God. him to talk in his real voice. And I don't know, I got goosebumps and just got all That's teary when great. I, when That's I, pretty great. you know, saw that so well that's great i can't wait to dig into uh to all the can work I, I don't think i've even scratched the surface of it yet it's it is it is a reset you're right it's a great way to think about it it's the it's the time where the entire industry just kind of like breathes out and breathes in and we start over again so um uh thank you for uh taking this time to to tell us your story is there anything that i uh that I missed that I should have that I should have asked you about God how I don't can, know how can people how can people connect you uh, we, we have a lot of young listeners who uh, who are sort of trying to find their place in the business and and maybe they were listening to you and thought hey I want to work for that guy how can they uh, contact a donor I'm on all the usual social channels so um, I'm easy to contact there mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I suppose we could put my email and some other sort of uh, sure. um, thing we'll out link. there in the interwebs. We'll um, put a link to it. Yeah. Donor.com, D-O-N-E-R.com. Uh, check that out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was really nice talking to you, Eric. I don't want to keep you. Uh, it was great talking with you, I don't want to keep you any longer. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to end it. I can't quit you, bro. Do we need, we need, a, big, we need a big finish? I mean, I'll give one other thing. If you want one yeah. last thing yes. that I'll say that people should do, what is should they do? Teach. Yeah. They should teach. You know, I, um, people always said, like, I taught at School Visual Arts um, for a decade, yeah. uh, helped create the digital curriculum there. Um, when I moved here to Detroit, um, you know, we, we opened up this little innovation hub downtown, yeah. and a couple of my uh, um, amazing young uh teams are teaching down there at our space at the Center for Creative Studies. And, uh, you know, I taught because Larry and Stu um, were the reason I'm doing this. And, yeah. um, you know, and I think, you know, that's that's why I wanted to do this. Like, I love that you're you're working with Ad House to do yeah. this. Like, there's still a magic about this business. There is. And there's a magic in watching other people see in their eyes what's possible. So teach. Wow. 
Eric, you've just you've you've inspired me so much, but I'm still not going to teach. I, I I can't do it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I have done it, and it is great, <laughs> but it's exhausting. I have so much to do at night, and I like to sleep. I, I go to bed at like ten o'clock. I can't after six p.m. I'm useless. Anyway, that's why I do this show for for Ad House and to get people to. Uh, to go there and, and meet uh, people like Cash Shree and and uh, and the teachers at, at Ad House and and uh, who knows maybe we can get an Ad House Detroit happening with uh, with donor. That would be great. Maybe Lauren would be into that. Thank you, thank you for doing it. Thanks for thanks for chatting with me. I've loved it. Um, next time you're in New York, let's hang. Yes, and let's get a beer next time. And next time in Detroit, Absolutely. I want to go buy it. a Shinola watch. Uh, and I want you to come with me and, and help me pick it out because you, you have good taste, sir. All right. It's a date. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, guys. So that was my chat with Eric Weisberg. Little little technical difficulties in there. So if there was some jumping around, uh, that was what was going on there. But uh, love talking to that guy. He uh, He's doing some really cool stuff over there at Donor. Uh, check out their website at donor.com. This has been the A-List brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you for listening. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever they put this thing these days on the internet. Uh, and if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please contact us through adhousenyc.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Mongo Industries. You can check out DeMassimo Goldstein at digobrands.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post. You can check out them at gramercypost.com in New York City. Our engineer, Matt Stillo, still the best, Stillo the best. 